0: Sunday mornings, Pastor Patrick has been walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. And we're just about near the end, and it has taken us quite some time to get there. Because of all the books in Scripture, Romans is one of the most theologically dense. It serves as almost a one-piece, one-volume, one-letter systematic theology, an organized laying out of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to walk in the footsteps that Christ has laid out to us. And that's why we can take our time through it, just one and two and three verses at a time, but. Throughout that, I believe there's something that we've lost, a subtext that runs all throughout Romans, and in a sense all throughout Scripture, that has to deal with the context of the Church of Rome. Now, the church in Rome was a melting pot. Not only did the coming together of Jews and Gentiles flip everything on its head, But Rome was a very prolific city in its day. And just like New York or Los Angeles would be today, with that popularity, with that status, comes a lot of diversity. Paul wanted this church in Rome to not only be well-informed and instructed, he wanted them to have a great wealth Of counsel and instruction when it came to them walking out their faith but I think more than anything he desired them to be unified that's why he gave them so much information that if this was the only thing that they had that this was the thing they could have in common to all be on the same page to be unified Because unity is something that God esteems so highly. Christ was given as our example and he, being fully God and fully man, was always at unity with the Father. The thing that comes to mind when when I think of Christ being unified with the Father As difficult as it may have been sometimes, was Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was willing to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That he would submit. And that's an example worth following. In a larger sense, the Trinity is the supreme picture of unity. The the triune God. I love how Pastor Dade put it on Wednesday. He said, three who's, but one what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all together constituting one God. That is unity. And it's that unity that we see in the Trinity, which has existed before the creation of time, all the way in eternity past. We see that thread of unity continue all throughout Scripture, even in the very first pages. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Genesis 1. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and Pastor Dave would be happy to distribute a Bible to you. Are you holding Bibles, Jim? Did I do that backwards? No? We got it. Okay, good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Again, we can note, as Dade reminded us this Wednesday, the Trinity here is seen, although on the other side of a veil. Then God said, let us, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, make man in our image, according to our likeness. Move your eyes across the page to Genesis two eighteen, And then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Then verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. That is unity. There in the garden, God makes man in his own likeness, and then makes woman, because you can't have unity in isolation. And there in the garden... God not only made man, he made something else that I think is absolutely key to our pursuit and our learning of unity that sometimes we take for granted. There in the garden, God made the first family. Yes, God made man and he made woman, but God made family. And we should know that family is a really big deal to God. Family is the system of order that God gifted mankind with that unity might be pursued. Because unity does not just arise out of the ashes of chaos. It's not like, well, if we burn everything down in chaos, then we'll find unity there amidst the rubble. No, unity is something that has to be pursued. Unity is something that is not going to naturally happen without some sort of structure or a system of order in which that unification can be chased after. And a lot of times we take for granted that family is is God's primary means of ordering humanity Because that's always the way it's been. When we think there back in the garden that God not only created man and woman, but he created family, we have to remember that he could have set up society and our relationships with one another in any way imaginable. And it's very hard for us to think because family... And those relationships are so ingrained in us, we couldn't possibly imagine society working any other way. God is capable of imagining another way. Yet he decided to institute family as his gift. If you're not sold on how big of a deal family is to God... Let's just review some of the language that he chooses to use in Scripture. So many of his metaphors are tied to family. God is our... All right, so here's how this works. (laughs) When I ask a leading question and then explicitly stop, I am giving you permission to respond. When I don't do that, Please don't respond. I'll get very confused. God is our. Father. Oh, great, great. The church is Christ's bride. bride. And as the church, we're children of God, and therefore we're brothers and sisters to one another. Those are all family relationships. And God picks that language to highlight the fact that the family is central to what he wants to do in unifying not only the church, but the individuals that compose it, that are made in his image. Family was God's desired means, his desired method of expressing his love to us. Now... From this point, we probably fall into one of two categories. Maybe the family that we grew up with was really, really bad. And it's hard for us to see family as a blessing, to see family as something that God ordained to be a vehicle for his love for us because of our experience. Many of us may get it. We may have had a wonderful family and we could see God working through that system, through that structure. But no matter what side of the fence we were on, I think everyone can agree that family is hard. Family is hard. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, it is rarely easy. Why would God give us family if he knew it was going to be hard? And why is family so hard? The second question is much easier to answer. Family is hard because it's full of people. And people in general are the worst. It was only shortly after God instituted the first family there in the garden that sin separated the fellowship that we had with God. And once that sin entered into the equation, the instrument of family that God intended to be the vehicle for Him expressing His love, to be the vehicle for us to experience unity with one another, Began to decay into various degrees of brokenness. The sin that took over our hearts manifested itself in all of our relationships, whether that be as husbands, fathers, daughters, sons. But God wasn't content to let sin take over and ruin the gift of family that he intended to give us. He sent his son to restore in part the fellowship that Adam and Eve shared with God in the garden, walking with him in the cool of the evening. That fellowship that was broken by sin has been restored in part now fully when we dwell with God in heaven, but that fellowship has been restored that the separation between us and God can be covered over by the blood of Christ, that we can again allow him to restore the brokenness that is found in all the people that constitute a family, and that families can be used once again to bring God glory and be vehicles of his love. One of the reasons God gave us families, one of the reasons that God uses that as a foundational piece of everything we know about what it means to exist is to prepare us for our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we know this because that's the language that he chooses to describe the relationship that he has with us. He uses the same language to describe the relationship that we had with our parents, with our family. Because you see, our parents were ordained by God to be the first source of authority in our lives. Our parents were ordained by God to be the first and primary source of authority in our lives. And from that authority was meant to flow protection, provision, security, and a foundation for which the Lord could build us up to walk in the ways that he had set out before us. We can see this when we look at Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he quotes one of the Ten Commandments out of Deuteronomy, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You see, the authority that God gave to every child through their parents or through those who acted as their parents was intended to set the stage. It was intended to prime the pump for our experience of operating under God's authority. And we have a tendency to cringe at that word a little bit. To allow God to be an authority figure. We at many times didn't like it when our parents were an authority figure. I have many young children in my home. There are times that they visibly cringe as I exercise my God-given authority over their lives. Because sometimes they don't see the bigger picture. You see, I intend to use my authority to keep them safe, to provide for them, and to prepare them for the things that God has for them. What they see is the crackers that they want on the counter. How they experience my authority is the command that I have issued that you may not grab anything off the counter at any time. Why? Because... Yes, there are crackers on the counter, but there are also knives. And sometimes, when they're peering over the edge, they can't tell the difference between one or the other. Now, in our homes, the authority that was placed over us was certainly executed in an imperfect manner. You could have had the best parents in the world. And they still fell short of what God would have intended them to do before sin entered the equation. They certainly failed to love and lead in a holy, perfect way. But this learning to submit to authority in a way that it was to our benefit. Because the older we get, the more we gain insight on why our parents did what they did. What did not make sense to us as children often makes more sense as we grow up. I know it was especially revolutionary for me when I had my own children I, monthly. I would just call and apologize to my mother. <laughs> Because as we're given more wisdom, as we're given more insight, as we grow and as we learn, as our perspective is broadened, we see what our parents were doing. And the same is true as we walk with the Lord. And that's what that relationship was intended to show us. That's why in Matthew 18, verse 1, Speaking to Jesus, at the time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called the little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. See, our parents were imperfect, But God desires to be that perfect fulfillment of authority and guidance and leading and shepherding in our lives. There's nothing like a little baby who knows that they have to go to their parents for everything they need. And no matter what is wrong, no matter what the problem is, the thing that child wants is their parent because they are the source of all comfort, of all remedy, of everything that they would need in both times of joy and times of sorrow or pain. That is the picture that God wants to paint to introduce the relationship that he desires to have with us. Now, whether your parents were a blessing or a curse or a little bit of both, that answers the question of why God would give us family even though he knew it was going to be hard. He knew it was going to be hard, but either despite the brokenness of the people in your family... God in His goodness used them to show His love for you. You might look back on your family and say, I can so clearly see how the Lord used that situation to keep me safe, to keep me protected. Look, you've all lived this long. It, hello? Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, it was not for nothing. We can can see that even though we all grew up in imperfect families, that the Lord used those relationships to bring about good in our lives. Or, we can see that the Lord used those relationships that were so corrupted by brokenness, that when we think of family... The only thing we walked away with was an understanding that people are really, really broken, that we are really, really broken, and that we need something more. Maybe our families just highlighted the edge of the God-sized hole in our heart and just called attention to the fact that what you need cannot be found in broken people. It cannot be found in the right circumstances or the right situation. But what you need, what your heart cries out for, what you so desired to receive as a child can only be found in the one good and perfect Father, and that is our Father God. The reality is more than likely a little bit of both. We each had those moments growing up in our home. And they say, you don't get to pick your family. And that never follows like a celebratory occasion. It's not like, oh, I heard your brother got a new job and a promotion. You don't get to pick your family. No, it's always like, what happened to your car? Oh, my brother ran it over. You don't get to pick your family. The older we get, the more skilled we become at navigating our relationships. Because we realize that everybody has jagged edges. All humans are broken. But we come to learn that some jagged edges don't seem to hurt us as much as others. So we surround ourselves with those jagged people that seem to not cut us in a way that's too bad. We eat a lot of vegetables in my home. The little children that I've mentioned previously, they do not like vegetables. (laughs) So we have a deal with them. When multiple vegetables are served, you may pick one of the smorgasbord of veggies that you do not have to eat. It makes the others not so bad. Okay, well, I can avoid the worst of it, so we do that with relationships. You guys are looking around at your friends, and you're like, eh, you can be a vegetable sometimes, but you're right, there are worse vegetables. (laughs) But the family that God gives us, we don't get to choose. And if we rewind and we follow this thread of unity that we are called to pursue, and God's design of the family to allow us to do that, we learn that all relationships are hard. And that's highlighted in our family. All relationships are hard, but especially with our family, because we don't get to pick those relationships based off affinity. And it's in those difficulties that God has laid the stage For us to invite Him to be the source of that unity. God wants to use broken relationships to show us how dependent we are upon Him. And He knows our family is broken. We know our families are broken because of sin. And so whenever we encounter the sin that's trying to destroy our relationships, whenever we encounter the sin that's trying to destroy our families, it should cause us to remember verses like Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, our families might be broken, full of broken people, but in Christ we've been adopted into a new family that is characterized by a perfect father who desires to minister to us, who desires to love us, despite that brokenness. Furthermore, Ephesians 2.19 says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here we have this picture of God taking us out of a broken family, out of a family that was characterized by sin, Sin that sometimes made things bad, sin that sometimes made things really bad, and still even amidst that, sometimes God was able to overcome that sin and make it good. But God has adopted us out of that family and called us to a life inside of the household of God as sons of adoption. The the family as God originally intended it died in the garden. But it was given new life on the cross. It was given new life in, in our homes, in the families that we have on earth when we allow Christ to reign in our heart. Because if we take sin off the throne of our heart, the sin that tears relationships apart, the sin that makes families and unity impossible to achieve, and replace that with Jesus, then we're equipped to allow him to use us to pursue that unity. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No. That's, that's the, the only thing that's easy is isolation. And that's hard in its own way. Being lonely is hard. Being alone is hard. But there's a lot of times we convince ourselves that it's easier than being part of a community. And that's because it can be. It's easy to be selfish when we're isolated. But God in his loving kindness has sown community so deep into our hearts. And that's one of the reasons why he gave us family. Family is the first community. No infant or, or, or child or young adolescent can survive without the support of a community. And family is the first community. In, in infancy, they can't feed themselves, they can't care for themselves, but even as they get older, that need for guidance, for care, for protection, whether we like it or not, I have lots of little people in my house. Sometimes they don't like it. But they need it. And even though as adults we develop the ability to survive outside of community, that doesn't make it a good idea. Even though we have the ability to survive outside of community, and COVID made it that much easier, right? COVID put that front and center. We could easily live our lives with almost no physical interaction. I can go to Walmart, I can pop my trunk, and they'll put the groceries in. I can go home, I can work from home. I can get all the entertainment I need. I don't have to go to the store, I can just go on Amazon. That's not good. Sometimes it's tempting especially the more people you talk to the more tempting it is <laughs> good there are some introverts here but one of the reason god one of the reasons god gave us the gift of family is when it's done perfectly it's a beautiful picture of how he desires to share his love with us how he desires to take an umbrella of authority and use that to grow and nurture an individual in safety that they might then go out on their own and succeed when it's done imperfectly it highlights our need for him because like we said unity does not happen out of nothing god continues to call us to community not because it's easy but because it is hard and if we did not if, if we did not do hard things it would be far too easy for us to forget how in need of christ's help we are we see in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, an encouragement to the church to be the church. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching." Family was given new life through Christ on the cross. Our families, our homes, were given new life when we allow Christ to reign in our hearts. But the cross also birthed the new family that was the church. And God says that is something else that you're called to. And he speaks of it in family terms, and it's going to be beneficial and difficult for all of the same reasons. You would think that some of the nicest people you could ever imagine you will find at church. That's true. Those same people are also terrible. (laughs) Because they're people. And we know this. Our favorite people... The people that we love the most sometimes are also terrible. I am that person. I can be the most terrible to the people I love the most. That's one of the reasons I know I need Jesus. That's one of the reasons I know I need the counsel of his word and I need the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons I know that even though my soul has been redeemed, and I am no longer a sinner but a saint, that I still carry around this stinky bag of a flesh nature, of a sin nature that wreaks havoc all across my life, and especially relationships. And understand, that's part of what we're supposed to do as the church. Because the church is a family. And it's called that explicitly in Scripture. God is our Father. Christ is our Bride. We are brothers and sisters inside of the household of God. So there are two things that we have to do. One, we have to remember that pursuing this family that is the church is something that God has called us to do. And that it's going to be hard. Because part of the design of family is relationships and intimate relationships and relationships when it's good and when it's bad and when it's ugly that's what we're called to do as the church the other thing that i think we need to remember is that that the In a world where so many people are attempting to destroy the family as a unit, the family has never been more under attack than it is today, we have to remember that the church is not The church is not a second family. The family that may have hurt you, the family that may have caused you a bunch of grief and a bunch of strife, and anything other than unity leaves us with wounds, and with scars, and with walls. But we can't come and claim to be the church if we continue to live here with those walls and with those bad habits that we developed to survive inside of broken families outside of these walls. Now, that doesn't mean that those wounds that you've developed aren't going to get bumped into. Because if we're called to be family, that means we're called to be in relationships. And in pursuing those relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're each going to do it imperfectly. And so we're going to bump against those wounds. But let's not think that we can choose family. It's so hard because there is a church on every block in this city. And if this church is hard, that's okay. You just have to drive two more minutes and try another church. Radiance right down there. I love them. They're good people. If you get mad at us, you should go to them. They teach the word. God won't let you escape there either. (laughs) Or if God has called you to this family then we can participate in it. We're going we're to bump elbows. But just like with your family, those of you that were able to experience what God wanted to share with you and your families, you know that they're there at the best and worst of times. Think about all the relationships you have in your life. Generally, people are the ones who cause you the greatest pain. But there is also a special joy that you can't experience alone. And that's the church. At the table of the Last Supper, months before. This church family was born. Jesus said in John 13:34, "A new commandment I give to you: that you love one another, as I have loved you, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." So His instruction to the foundational members of what would become his family, to the disciples there around the table. Just, hey, just, just love each other as well as Jesus. Right? That's not a big ask. It's a huge ask. <laughs> it's almost as huge of an ask as just be like a perfect, patient mother. Just be like a kind and gentle father just be a considerate and always present brother or sister. The love that our family needs, whether that's the family sitting in green chairs, the family that's on Facebook, or the family that's at home, in state or out of state, the love that our family needs can only be found in Christ. Christ. And it's in pursuing that love that we can pour out the grace and the understanding and the patience and the forgiveness that are needed to bring unity to our families. Pastor Don Duncan was a former Calvary Chapel pastor who passed away a number of years ago. He used to pastor this church before he planted another location. And I, at the time, was sitting under his teaching, and I had a huge, huge problem with one of my family relationships. It was with a brother. And I went, and I sought counsel with him, and I'll never forget the thing that he said, because I I just couldn't. It was too much. And he said, Rob, what would happen if you lowered your expectations? He said, wow. He said, what would happen if you lowered your expectations of your brother? You see, because I walked around in all of our interactions, and I expected things from him rather than loving him for who he was praise god that when he came to me that when he rescued my life the expectations were not high praise god that even now as i walk with christ in this family that there is an abundance of grace that when i get it wrong that when i mess up he's there with what appears to be really low expectations. Not that the the goals aren't set high. Not that the desire, not that he wouldn't instruct me towards more. But in my weakness and in my failure, in my humanity, he's still there with his love. And it's that attitude, it's that selfless, other-centered, spirit-fueled love that will not only allow us to thrive as a church family, but as individual members of each of our own families. I'm going to invite Becky and the ladies back up here, and we're going to celebrate communion. And they'll distribute it during this song. And I ask that you hold on to it and we'll partake it together. But as we sing and as communion is dispersed, let's celebrate the fact that we have been adopted into a family. That we have been adopted into this family not by anything we did, but by what, what Christ has done on the cross. And that like any family, we have to have one identity. You think of that family where they all look the same or at least they all act the same like, oh, that's such a... I I can't say anyone here. I know all your names and I can't say anyone here because you think I'm calling you out. All right, so I'll use myself as the bad example. When one of my kids is running around being stupid in the hallway, you'd be like, such a young thing to do. We want to have one identity as a church family. And that identity can't be any other identity than the one that we have in Christ. And that identity was purchased for us solely by His blood that washed away what separated us from God and would allow us to even be welcomed into His family in the first place. Let's meditate on that and let's celebrate that as Becky leads us in worship. <coughs>